This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. Won't you open your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. I want to speak to you this morning on a guarantee of divine persuasion. A guarantee of divine persuasion. Faith is fundamental to the Christian walk. It is one of those things which is really a, um, it's part of the foundation of what Christianity is all about. We even have faith in our name, living faith. Faith is so important. And the thing about it is, the more you talk about faith, everybody's got an opinion about faith. Everybody's got an idea about faith. The thing is, no matter what people have to say, or no matter what people think about, it's important that we understand where we start when it comes to faith. You see, the thing is, people will tell you what they believe about faith. Philosophers have an idea about who God is and what God's all about. Theologians will tell you about what faith is and what they believe faith is. And you can speak to anybody you like and they'll say, well, I feel, I believe, whatever faith might be. The problem with it is, the moment we're talking about faith, we have to understand that if we start off at the wrong place, we're going to end up with the wrong answer. So anytime we start off talking about faith and we start talking about ourselves, we're starting in the wrong place. You see, faith has everything to do with God, not me. It comes from God and it is a gift from God. So anytime I start talking in that context and I get outside of who God is and I start to look at man, I always run the risk of coming up with the wrong idea as to what what faith is all about. The Bible calls us to growth. It calls us to expansion. We're supposed to go from grace to grace, from glory to glory. We're supposed to be growing in 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 who we are and what we're all about. The thing about growth is everybody loves growth until you have to grow. Have you realized that? Everybody loves growth. We love the idea of growth until you put in a place where you have to grow and suddenly I realize how comfortable I am in what I know. I like to live there because I'm comfortable there. I like it because it's everything that I'm able to define. And in that context, I like that space. I don't like it when you push my boundaries out. But the problem with it is, as long as I live within the confines of my boundaries, my life is not expanding. I'm stuck in a spot. Just because the boundaries are pushed out, just because it's uncomfortable, just because it's new, just because it's different, doesn't mean that it's wrong. The point is, what moves us to a place of growth is the fact that I believe it's right. No matter what it feels like, no matter how my emotions may be in upheaval, no matter how it may unsettle my equilibrium because it's new and different. What I want to propose to you today is this. I want to talk about faith from the perspective that is a little bit more evolved in my thinking when where it used to be. It hasn't changed, but I think sometimes when we approach something from a different perspective, we see it in a different way. It's important because God is always taking us to a place where he gives us fresh, fresh revelation. That alone should be a good thing. If you're not getting fresh revelation, you're stagnating. 
The problem with it is, any time I speak about something to do with God, I should be in a place where it's more robust and it's grown in my life. If you're telling me the same thing about an area of your life, then the, and it looks the same way as it did 10 years ago, it's not growing. God's looking for us to grow. It doesn't mean that we change. It means that he introduces us to new and fresh revelation on things. The starting place with everything is Jesus. The starting place with everything is Jesus. If you want to know about the Father, go to Jesus. Don't go and ask people's opinion. The Bible says, no one knows the Father except the Son. What it's saying is, Jesus even said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. What he was saying is, I'm here to reveal the Father to you. If you want to know who the Father is and what the Father is like, if you want to get some indication as to how you're able to define who the Father is, go to Jesus. Don't listen to people's opinions. We go to Jesus. When it comes to faith, let's not listen to other people's opinions. Let's go to Jesus. Why is Jesus so important in in, in faith and in looking at how we identify and recognize faith? It's because in the context of who he was, he was 100% God and he was 100% man. And it becomes really important because in that context, it starts to give us an idea as to how how Jesus worked with faith. Jesus was at a place where his, his relationship with God was so harmonious that every time God invited him into something new, every time there was a revelation on the part of Father God, Jesus gave the perfect response. It was the perfect response between God and man. There was an equilibrium, there was a harmony that was, uh, that was developed in that context, which made a relationship that was symbiotic, that was comfortable, that was beneficial, that was understanding. It becomes important for us because Jesus had beliefs, but Jesus' faith went beyond simply a, a set of beliefs. It was defined by a relationship that existed between him and the Father. It's not to say that beliefs were not important. They are. They're very important. But his relationship with God was more robust than that. And it was defined by something called intimacy of relationship. What I want to explore today is how important is relationship in our, in our faith walk? And why is it so important for us? Matthew chapter 11 and verse 30 says, I've given about 15 scriptures to poor old Donna, so I'm going to keep on her toes this morning. Pardon? I know you do. We'll, we'll let you know at the end, Donna. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here we go. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. It introduces us to a principle that God's saying. And what he's talking about is this. Anytime you move to an area of your Christian life where it is cumbersome, where it is hard, where it is difficult, where it's a struggle, where it's work, we're outside of his divine order. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Faith should be a simple exercise for us. I don't know about you, but faith has not always been easy for me. You see, the problem with faith is that we're always trying to get an understanding as how I, how I can grasp faith and how I can walk into faith. When we talk about faith, all too often what we do is we say to people, how is your faith? When people go through a challenge, we sit and say, hold on to your faith. When we speak about faith, we say to people, how do you grow your faith? How do you make it? We, we're always referring to people and we're starting off at the place of the individual to sit and say, what is your faith looking like? And it leaves us in, in an area where we start to 
assume responsibility for our faith, which means that I need to grow this thing. I need to do something about faith so that I can receive from God. And all of a sudden, what ends up happening is grace, which is supposed to be easy and without burden and light, becomes something which is cumbersome and complicated and difficult. And I feel like I'm always getting it wrong because I'm never walking into the promises. The thing is, faith is not about self-effort. Faith is not about what I can do. It's not about working hard at stuff. Faith, in essence, is made up of the elements called confidence and assurance. Confidence and assurance. They become really important aspects. The question is, do I believe that I can generate those? Or is it possible for me to walk into a relationship with God where when he gives me something, what comes with the gift comes the assurance and the confidence that I need? In my walk with God, it's so important that I get to know him and I get to understand who he is and what he's all about. It's important that I begin to realize that I journey through life with a God and I know his goodness. I journey through life with a God and I understand his love. I journey through God with a, through life with a God and I know his faithfulness. They become characteristics of who he is and what he's all about and it becomes really important for me because when I know who that God is and when I know what that's all about, it starts to define my relationship with him and it starts to inform something called trust. Faith is intimately connected to trust. And trust is only as good as the person that it's invested in. At its essence, trust is not about my self-effort. Faith is not about my self-effort. Faith is grounded and rooted and has its origin in his faithfulness. It has its origin in his faithfulness. I want to explore that today and I want to carry on. I'll talk about it, I think, a little bit next week. I always have to be careful because sometimes I say that and then during the week something happens and I have to go off in a different tank. But I think I'm going to continue. I want to explore that a little bit more. The, the thing that's so important for us about that is understanding that God wants to do something in your life so that you get to realize and experience the fullness of what he's provided for us. And he's always going to introduce that to us. He's given us something which is so helpful for us, which the Old Testament people never had. It's called the Bible. The Word of God. It's a fabulous manual on life. It becomes so important to us because when we begin to immerse ourselves into, in the Word of God, when we get the Word of God and we begin to read about what the Word of God has to say about God, about His perspective, about His will, about His character, about His nature, about how He wants to work with us, it starts to define all of those things in our life and it starts to make things robust for us. It gives us illumination. It gives us a place where we have a paradigm for who God is. And that's so important because everyone of us is going to go through challenges at some point in life. And when we go through challenges in life, what ends up happening is, I need something called hope. 
There's nothing worse than people who are hopeless. There's nothing worse than people who are sitting in a situation where I'm face to face with a challenge and I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring because I have no hope. Hope becomes important for us. If you open your Bible and you have a look at Matthew chapter, sorry, at Romans chapter 8, verses 24 and 25, I'm going to read it out of the Passion. It says, for this is the hope of our salvation. But hope means that we must trust and wait for what is still unseen. For why would we need to hope for something we already have? So because our hope is set on what is yet to be seen, we patiently keep on waiting for its fulfillment. The point is this. The hope that God has to offer us comes when we get into the word of God. Get into the word of God. Read the written, the written word of God because whatever circumstance or situation you find yourself in right at the moment, God has got something to say about it. And I can tell you now, God's influence in that situation will always give you illumination and hope for what it's going to look like. The thing about God's hope is he always speaks to us about the things unseen. What he's saying is, whatever situation and circumstance you find yourself in right now, when you read the word and you begin to understand what my perspective and my will is, it'll begin to illuminate for you something which is unseen. It gives me hope of the fact that I can step into that. I can walk into something which is God's design and intention for me. It gives me hope that it exists. What he's saying is, hope has relevance when you're in a challenge. If you're in financial difficulties, you need to know that Jehovah Jireh has a plan for you. You need to know that he's interested in who you are. You need to know that he's interested in the predicament in which you find yourself and that he has a solution and that he's going to take you somewhere. And it leaves you at a place where you sit and say, I can imagine where God wants to take me. I can see it. But it only has relevance to you when you're in that predicament. what What it's saying is you don't need that hope when you're outside of that. If you have a challenge today, he wants to introduce hope into your life. He wants to introduce hope into that situation. And it's designed to give you and to begin to illuminate what his plan is for you. And how you can step into the fullness of what that's all about. How do we do that? If you have a look at Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3. It says... You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. The word for mind there is imagination. Imagination. What he's saying is this. When you get into the word of God and you allow that to seed your life, what will end up happening is it will begin to feed your imagination. And we'll live in a place where we'll sit and start to imagine what God's intention is. When you start to fill your imagination with seed from God's word as opposed to seed from your reality, it'll change your perspective on what your future is going to look like. What he's saying is the word is designed to introduce you to help, to hope. Hope is the most wonderful thing. But it's not the end of the journey. The problem with it is, hope is so wonderful because it injects into our situation the fact that God has a plan and God has a purpose. The problem with it is, hope is sometimes dangerous because too many Christians live in hope and never move into faith. 
What I do is I get to the place where I'm spending my time and I'm reading through the word of God and I'm understanding the word of God and he's beginning to illuminate for me what the future could look like with him. And I sit in that place and I'm very excited about it. And then I sit and think, well, the only way that I can walk into where I'm going is through faith because I learned it at a good Bible church. And so I start sitting saying, well, I'm living in hope and I want to walk into faith. So what do I need to do? How do I take what God's potential, what God's promise, what hope is for me? And how do I walk into it? And I start thinking, well, I know what I need to do. I need to persuade myself so that I get rid of all of my doubts. And so I start doing an exercise to get rid of my doubts because the reason I'm not realizing the fullness of what God has got for me and the plan he has for me is because I have these little niggling things that keep popping up all over the time, all over the place. Maybe I need to pray harder. Maybe I need to read some more Bible so what I can do is grow my faith up a little bit. I engage in a whole works program. My yoke is easy. And my burden is light. But faith is not always easy. I want to talk to you this morning about the important part that I think that we're missing. And I believe that what it'll do is it'll introduce us to an easy faith walk. Because faith is designed to be a gift. It's not of yourself. And it's not of your works. It is a gift that is given to you. You see, when we come to Jesus, we always look to Jesus and we look for him to provide us with gifts because of grace and what he offers to us. Don't work for your salvation. It's a free gift. You don't work for your righteousness. It's a free gift. You don't work for your healing. Jesus paid the price. It's a free gift. We say yes to everything and we're so excited about it, except my faith. All of a sudden, faith for some other reason is excluded. I don't see faith as a gift. Faith is something I have to do. And so I remove that from the table and I take responsibility and ownership for it. Hope is wonderful. Spend your time in the word of God because it'll grow a robust hope life. But always remember this, the written word is always intended to direct you to the living word. And if you stop along the journey in a place called hope, you'll never realize the blessing. What we need once we're in hope is, I'm sitting in a situation and I know what God's promise for me is. But what's so sorely absent is life. I need to take the promise and I need to give it life in my situation. I need to realize power in my situation so it'll change things. If you open your Bible to John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40 in the Passion, it says, You are busy analyzing the scriptures, frantically poring over them in hopes of gaining eternal life. Everything you read points to me, yet you still refuse to come to me so I can give you the life that you're looking for, eternal life. The word of God is important and you have to have the word of God because the word of God gives you direction. It gives you influence. It gives you a paradigm. It gives you a grid. It gives you the will of God that you need to have those things. But we serve a living Christ. He is not dead. 
He is someone who's looking for relationship with you. And what he's saying is, once you understand what my will is, once you know what my intention is, once you know what it is, then the way that you can come and you can collaborate with me. I'm looking for you to come to me. I know this might be a shock, but he actually means it. We get so philosophical about stuff and we get so theological. Well, did he really mean that? Let's get back to the original Greek. Maybe he's just talking in strange terms about, you know, how he presents himself. He's saying, come to him. That's what it says in my Bible. What he's saying is, I want relationship with you. And what he's saying is, if we don't have relationship, the challenge with it is, you've got nothing to come to. What you have is a whole bunch of head knowledge. What you have is a grid for hope. But what you don't have and what you're sorely missing is relationship. And unless we have relationship, I can't go to him and speak to him. Romans 10.10. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. It's a simple scripture. And I think it's pretty literal. I wasn't always taught it was literal. What I was taught was this. Faith comes by reading and reading and studying the word of God until you get illumination. That's not what it says. It says faith comes by hearing. Reading the word of God is going to give you hope. But hearing his voice is going to give you faith. That's the big difference. I need to understand the written word. It has place for my life. But unless it takes me into an introduction with the living word, I fail along the way. I end up living out of hope. And I try really hard to make my hope produce something in my life. But it doesn't matter because faith is a gift. And it is a gift that I receive in relationship with him. And so until I come to him, and until I come to him in that space, and until I sit down with him and I sit and say, Father, I just need to speak to you a moment. Holy Spirit, come in and fill my life right now. I've got this huge challenge that I'm dealing with. You know what it is. I know your word says this to me. Talk to me. And should I tell you something? What he says to you will produce faith. Why? Because the words that he speaks come from a place of faithfulness. It is the root that produces something on the inside of us called faith. I'll give you an example. And then I'll give you a whole bunch of examples. I know nothing about cars. I know that may shock you. I know nothing about car engines. And so if my car starts to rattle, or there's noises, or there's smoke, or there's anything else, I know something is wrong. And when something is wrong, I need to sit and find out that there is an opportunity, some hope in the situation. I have hope in somebody called Scott. Scott is the mechanic where I live. I like Scott. Scott knows a lot about cars. He knows a lot about the car that I drive. And so I trust Scott. And so the thing about it is, when things start happening, I sit and I I quickly get hold of Scott. And I sit and say, Scott, I need to come in. I've got some issues. 
I got hope in my situation because I know somebody who has answers. I have hope in my situation because I know somebody who may be able to do something. I have hope in my situation because although I may not be qualified and I may not have the ability to make changes, I know someone who can. The thing is, I'm living in hope. I take it into Scott and he has a look at it and you know what he says to me? Leave it with me, I can fix it. What happened? Something happened in that moment. All of a sudden, because of what he said, it changed that hope that I had to a confidence. And I could sit and say, Sarah, come and collect me. It's fine. Scott's going to take care of it. We're okay. The car's going to be fine. Because it came out of his mouth. He made a commitment to me that said, I have the ability to fix it. He looked at the circumstance and situation and he said to me, leave it with me. I'll correct it. It changed everything. It changed everything. You see, faith is divine persuasion. Faith is divine persuasion. Faith is something that when I get into communication, when I get into dialogue with the Holy Spirit, what ends up happening is it is the warranty that he gives me that guarantees the revelation I'm about to speak to you will come to pass. It's the warranty that guarantees the revelation I'm about to speak to you is going to come to pass. If we go to, let me read these to you. You just make a note of them. If you go to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, God starts dealing with somebody called Abram. And he says to Abram, I'm going to do something in your life. And he comes in, and the thing is, people sit and say, Abram left his home, and he left his this, and you know, he was just on his way, and his merry way. He wasn't just on his merry way. Abram met with God, and God said something to him. From verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, the first words. First words in the, in the one verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you and in you, in you all the families of the earth will be best. The point of that I want to make is this. He came in and he spoke to him. What ended up happening? You're at home and you wake up in the morning and there's Jesus standing next to you. And Jesus says to you, you know what? I've got a plan for you. I'll tell you what. Pack your stuff up. I need you to move to Delaware because nobody wants to move to Delaware. <laughs> I need you to move to Delaware because I'm going to bless you. Would you pack? Would you go? Why? Because Jesus spoke to me. I know he said it to me. I don't know where I'm, where I'm finally going to end up. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what it's ultimately going to look like. But he said to me that he's going to make me a father of many nations. He said to me that he's going to bless me. He says anybody who comes against me is going to woe betide to them. God spoke to him. And as a result of God speaking to him, what ended up happening is he trusted God to fulfill his word. And out of that, he acted and did something. And he moved. But there's something interesting about this. Although it gave him the impetus and the spiritual um, confidence to be able to move with God, you'll notice that what God says to him is, I will make of you a great 
nation. It becomes interesting because you know Abram had no son. In fact, Abram had no children. And he heard those words. He heard those words. And he's sitting processing this over a period of time. And he's sitting saying to himself, how am I going to walk into this blessing? God said that he's going to make of me a great nation. It requires that I have some offspring. I don't have any offspring. You know that he was busy sitting, thinking about it, pondering about it, pontificating, wondering what it's going to look like. What does he do? He goes and he speaks to God. If you have an issue in your life, go and speak to God. Forget everybody else. They're going to give you their opinions. They're not going to give you divine confidence. Until you get to that place where you go and speak to him, you need to hear what he has to say to you. Because when he speaks to you, he's going to give you clarity of direction for your life. Genesis chapter 15, verses um, 1 to 5. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. If you Google the word of the Lord, you'll be shocked at how many times it pops up all over the Old Testament. We think that people just ran out and did all kinds of stuff. They never ran out and did stuff. They acted in faith. What happened? God appeared to them and the word of the Lord came to them and said. And as a result of the impartation of the word, what was part of what was imparted to them was something called faith. It was divine confidence that he would fulfill the word that he's just given me. That's why they acted. The Old Testament is robust with faith. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. But Abram said, Lord, what will you give me, seeing as I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliza, Eliza, whatever his name is, of Damascus. It was his servant. What Abram is doing is he's sitting saying, You made me a promise. I know that it was broad. I'm living in the hope of that. I'm living in the hope of that. I'm living in the hope of that. But I need to know from you, how is this going to become a reality? Because the problem with it is, when I'm living out of my hope, all I can do is I can see my reality. You've promised me a nation, but the only way that a nation is going to come out of me is if I make use of my servant here. Talk to me. Then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, the one born in my house is, is, uh, indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. The Lord spoke, saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, look now towards the heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. What changed the paradigm for Abraham was that he heard the voice of the Lord. He spoke to him. He took his issue to God and he said, you've made me a promise that I would be a father of many nations. You've promised me that. I'm living in the hope of that. I need for you to tell me how this is going to happen. Is it through my servant or what's going to happen? And God said to him, no. He said, I will give you a child. I will give you an heir and it will come from your body. Because it came from the mouth of God. faithfulness with which it was delivered carried with it the promise the gift of faith 
that said, if he said it, I have divine confidence that it's going to come to pass. That's what changed Abram. God spoke to him. And part of the delivery was not just the word, but it was the impartation of faith. That's not just in the Old Testament, but it's in the New Testament as well. If you turn and have a look at Matthew chapter 8, it becomes so important because this is the one time where Jesus says, I've seen no greater faith. So we're talking and using as a reference point the person that Jesus referred to as having great faith. Now Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Hope brought him to Jesus. He had heard about what Jesus could do. He could hear that he had heard about the miracles that Jesus had performed. He had heard that there was hope in this man called Jesus. Hope brought him to Jesus. And when he got there, he said, this is my problem. And he waited to hear what Jesus said to him. And Jesus said, I will come and heal him. That's all he needed to hear. That's all he needed to hear. What he said was, I'm coming to you because my hope is in you. What will you do? And he was waiting. And he was listening. Because he didn't know. Was Jesus going to say, for everybody but you? I'll do it for you, but not for your servant. Jesus turns around and says to him, I will heal your servant. The minute he said that, all of a sudden, the divine confidence came up on the inside of him. And Jesus says, okay, well, I'll go and heal him now. Let's get on our way. And what does he do? He sits and says, no, no, you don't need to come. It's fine. I've already got the divine confidence. It's already happened. You've told me. I know it'll take place. You don't have to be there for it to happen. All you had to do was say it. I just needed to hear it out of your mouth. I needed to hear your word say to me, I'll do it. What evoked that response in him was the impartation, the divine gift. And Jesus looked at him and said, no greater faith have I seen. There is power that comes and there is an impartation, a spiritual gift that comes when we hear the voice of God. Five times in the New Testament, Jesus refers to little faith. There are five occasions. Little faith. And what's interesting about that is it's actually a very poor translation because the accurate translation is this. It is Jesus rebuking the problem of failing to hear his voice. Little faith describes someone dull of hearing the Lord's voice or disinterested in walking intimately with him. What it's saying is this. If you can come into relationship with me, you will hear my voice. And if you hear my voice, you won't only hear my words, which will give you direction as to how you need to move your life, but it's going to give you a divine impartation of confidence. And it's going to put you at a place where you can sit and say, it's okay. He said it, I believe it. It doesn't matter what my circumstances look like. It doesn't matter what today looks like. It doesn't matter what people tell me. It doesn't matter what's happening with the new bill. It doesn't happen to what's going on. The thing is, he's promised me something. 
And because he's promised me... And because he promised me something, what he said to me was this, it's going to come to pass. I know it's going to come to pass. So I live in the expectation of sitting, looking and waiting for something to happen. Why? Because he spoke to me. I got to hear his voice. People all too often think that they have a faith issue. I would propose to you that they don't have a faith issue, but we have a relationship issue. You see, when we know him, And when we're intimate with him, when we walk through life having conversation with him, we leave the door open to hear his voice. We leave the door open for me on a regular basis to go in and sit and say, I need to talk to you about something. Something's going on. I need to hear your voice. Because when I hear your voice, there's more than just pure direction that's going to come out of your mouth. There's going to be a divine impartation of confidence. It's a gift. It's spiritual in nature. It's going to touch me and it's going to change me. And it creates a new kind of person. Donna, let me read this. Don't, don't put this up. Um, Romans chapter 4, verses 18 to 25. I've kind of given an abridged version of it. But the whole purpose of faith is it creates a different person. It creates a person who lives in a different realm, from a different paradigm, from a different perspective. Because what ends up happening is I am all of a sudden a natural person with divine intervention in my life. And I live in a place of expectation, looking forward to him to fulfill what he said to me. I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know how it's going to come, but it's going to be there. Romans 4 um, verses from 18 to 25. It says, against all odds when it looked hopeless, Abraham believed the promise and expected God to fulfill it. He took God at his word, and as a result, he became the father of many nations. In spite of being nearly 100 years old, when the promise of having a son was made, his faith was so strong that, he couldn't, that it could not be undermined by the fact that he and his wife Sarah were incapable of conceiving a child. He never stopped believing God's promise. And because he was mighty in faith and convinced that God had all the power needed to fulfill his promise, Abraham glorified God. The reason that we can glorify him, the reason that we live in celebration, the reason that we praise him and we worship him is because when you live in relationship with him, he's continually speaking into your life. I live in the expectation that what he said to me is going to come to pass. He speaks possibilities to me despite circumstances and situations. He speaks possibilities in what my life could look like and how things could be. And I live in the expectation of those things simply because he said it. And on the inside of me is a divine confidence that lives with the assurance that it doesn't matter what my world or my environment or my relationships or my bank account or the newspapers or the politics look like because he's taking me somewhere which is the manifestation of the word that he's given me. Faith has everything to do with God. It is a gift which comes from him. It is spiritual in nature, which means anything that I have to do in a natural capacity is self-effort and works, and it's never going to accomplish what his intention is. No matter what I do, I never step into a paradigm or a reality that is defined by, def- that is defined by divine confidence. That only comes when I've developed an intimate relationship with him.
When I know his goodness, I know his love, I know his faithfulness, and I spend time talking to him and giving him the opportunity to make deposits into my life. I listen for what he has to say, because with the words comes divine impartation of confidence. That's what changes my life. His invitation when he speaks about being people of faith is become people of relationship. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without relationship, it's impossible to please him. Everything comes out of that space. I want to explore next week, I think, the union between Jesus and God the Father and how that represents itself and why it's important for us and what we can learn from that in a practical sense in terms of our faith walk and how we can partner with him in relationship. Miss Jackie, you come and pray for us. You can take your mask off for this because otherwise we won't hear a word you say. I think there's a microphone there. Papa, we love you. We adore you. Hmm. Father God, I thank you that you're beginning to shift our thoughts that from when something bad happens, it's not, oh shoot, I hope my dad doesn't find out, to, oh shoot, I need to call dad. I need to get closer. I need daddy. I need to have a conversation with him because he's got me and I trust him. Yeah. Father God, we want you to be glorified in our lives. That everywhere we go, we are a representation of your love and of your light, Father God. Yeah. Holy Spirit, we say have your way this week. Yeah. Show up in every area. All the little things. Every, every decision we make, we look to you first. That we begin to practice speaking and hearing your voice and doing what you say. Because it's so beautiful to be in relationship with you. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for this message. Thank you that we get to come back to it and listen to it. Because this isn't a message that we listen just for today and it's cute and whatever. This is foundational in our lives. And to be what you need us to be in Northern Virginia, in our lives, in our jobs, in our marriages, in our families, we need these words. And we need to know what they mean in our life. So Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this day. May our bodies not be able to contain you and your presence and your light and your love, Father God. Everywhere we go, it's oozing. In Jesus' name, thank you. Thank you for this week. Thank you for this week. Yeah. In Jesus' name. Love you guys. Amen.